Good morning, and all of you are welcome in this place. <laughs> I have um, quite a lengthy email from the Martins, and um, can I see a show of hands? I don't know if they sent it out to everyone, and if they didn't, I want to read it. You've, you received it. Did anyone else receive it? So I'm gonna, I would like to read the email from the Martins so we catch up on them. We arrived in Izmir two weeks ago and stayed the weekend with a young man and his wife, whom we've known for many years. The young man did his last year of high school at Desert Christian High um, in Tucson. It was very exciting to see him again and to see his growth in the Lord. He is serving in a church in Urla, which is near Izmir, which his father's church had planted. We spent about three days in Ivalak, actually in Kunda, an island which connects to Ivalak as a bridge. Then we went up to Gure to spend two days with old friends. We met some, met some friends in Dikli, I, I know I'm, not, I'm killing all this, and Bergma, uh, and then went on Wednesday to Izmir Airport to pick up our son Matt, who will be with us for the rest of the trip. Now the three of us are back in Avalek for two days before heading up to Istanbul in order to fly back to the U.S. Caroline is mostly recovered from her fall two days before we came to Turkey. She had a swollen lip, a black and blue chin, and a concussion. Wednesday was my, my Frank's birthday. Our purpose in coming here was to meet with people that we know in the region. This is the region that the Lord directed us to adopt when we first came back to Turkey in 1998. At that time, there were no believers. Now, just in um, Ivalak, there are three couples working to plant a church, and they have re renovated a whole floor of a building for church services in Bergama. Um, there is prayer for those for prayer house for two teams for church planting. Um, here are some reflections so far. First, we are very encouraged with how many workers there are in this region, and we are gratified that they are maturing in their faith. Um, there are now multiple church planters or teams in each of the small towns in the region. This is a region where the gospel first took root, and there are something like about uh, something about being part of a rerouting the gospel here. Second, it has been wonderful seeing old friends. We have some very deep and close friendships here over the area. We have been coming here for over 20 years. Third, we continue to have a burden and love for these people. Fourth, the beauty of this area is captivating, especially in the Aegean Sea. We were in Canderley, um, a town on the coast in Air, Air, an Airbnb house which has um, an 180-degree panoramic view of the Aegean Sea and many of the islands. The views here are spectacular. Prayer request. Please pray for our son, Matt. This is his first trip to Turkey. Pray his time here is a blessing and protection over his family. Pray for more divine connections. Pray for safety and protection while traveling. Pray for strength. I received this 
on Friday, which means that they would be flying out very likely today. There has been an explosion in Istanbul today. I have no idea how big, except because I haven't had a chance to follow the news information, but I do know that there was a large explosion in Istanbul. I do not know if it was a bomb or something else, but very likely they're in Istanbul today to fly out. So we want to make sure and keep them in our prayers for safety and coming home. Okay, so that's, that's that message. Does anybody else have information they want to bring today? All right. Well, Lord God, we do praise and thank you for this day that we have been gathered together in your house, that um, you have granted us the ability to know what's happening with our beloved Frank and Caroline. We ask you to protect both them and their son, Matt, and to show them your power and presence in the midst of whatever is going on in Istanbul today. Your um, opportunity to keep them safe will write on Matt's heart your love and compassion for them. And we ask for that to be done. We praise you and thank you, Lord, and give this service into your hands. We thank you and praise you for Pastor Ray, who will be speaking today, and we ask you for your words from him. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you see me? <laughs> I'm going to share uh, Billy Graham's hope for each day with you today. And the verse for the day is, the Lord will be a shelter for his people. And the theme is clean and hope. The late British historian Arnold Toynbee shared his personal slogan with the world when he said, cling and hope. With all the ideals we held a few years ago crumbling, he advised the human race to cling and hope. But cling to what? Millions cling to the wreckage they have made of their lives, thinking they have nowhere else to turn. Others cling to false ideolo ideologies, uh, deceptive cults, and still others cling to possessions or relationships or pleasures. Yes, cling and hope, but what if you are clinging to something that is sinking? To turn to God in an hour such as this in history of the world is not escapism. Multiplied thousands have found that faith in Christ is more than adequate for the pressures of this hour. The true Christian does more than cling and hope. He knows that with Christ, he is secure forever. Is that your hope in him? And the hope for today is hope in the Lord <clears throat> is not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. We cling to what was accomplished on the cross and we place our hope in the one who has never let us down. Well, we're here this morning to honor the Lord, to praise him, and to exclaim his glory and greatness. Okay. It can be a sacrifice of praise, and it's even more meaningful to him. So we will lift him up. Wherever I'll praise you. 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 I'
Yeah. 
Habakkuk. Habakkuk? <laughs> One of the two. Um, third chapter, 17th through the 19th verses. This is a man who has insight. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. of his love in the book he has given wonderful things in the bible i see this is the dearest that jesus loves me i'm so glad that jesus loves me jesus loves me jesus loves me i'm so glad that jesus loves me jesus loves me forget him and wander away still he doth love me wherever i stray back to his dear loving arms i flee when i remember that jesus loves me i'm so glad that jesus loves me jesus loves me jesus loves me i'm so glad that jesus loves me even me Oh, if there's only one song I can sing When in his beauty I see the great king This shall my song in eternity be Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me I'm so glad that Jesus loves me Jesus loves me loves me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me.
Our New Testament reading today comes again from the Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 21, verses 5 through 19. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the wall. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? And he replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying, the time has come, but don't believe these things must take place. Or, but don't, I'm sorry, but don't believe, these, believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he asked, then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before the kings and governors because you are my followers but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and, and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you and everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And if you join me in the responsive reading, we delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within our hearts. Have mercy upon us, O God according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, really the owner of all, and that you are so gracious to allow each of us to have some of these things that really belong to you, that you let us use them, you let us learn from them. Lord, your word being that the greatest above of those things. So Lord, we asked when we give back, that we give back with, a, with an open heart and that your will be done and that you will guide us in, the, in how these gifts are used. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done.
Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> What there? You forgot your um. Foxy, oh man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> Good morning. <clears throat> A quote from Eugene Peterson. All men and women hunger for God. That hunger is masked and often mistaken in many ways, but it is always there. Every last one of us eventually comes to a precipice of life crying out, My Lord and my God, help me. But our cry is drowned out by our doubt, our defiance or muffled by our busyness and the dull ache of our routines, or by our cozy relationship with mediocrity. 
But then something marvelously divine happens. A word, an event, a dream. And suddenly we feel a supernatural push forward. An awareness of incredible grace. An intense quickening of desire, a defiant hope, courageous faith. And in an instant, we are safe. We are home and seated at the table called salvation. Let us pray. Father God, we adore you. We praise your name. Lord, we ask that you rest your Holy Spirit upon every soul here this morning and fill us to overflowing with the joy of your presence. We want to be excited about our faith ecstatic about the miracle of salvation. Help us comprehend just how majestic is the love, grace, and freedom you have called us to in your Son, our Lord Jesus. We also ask, Lord, that you, announce, that you anoint every word spoken from this pulpit this morning. And Father, we ask in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Do we have any veterans here this morning? Yes. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for your service. Uh, I never formally served, but I did spend uh, five years with the Marines as a contractor. And uh, I had a uh, gunny sergeant come up to me in the middle of our uh, exercise. And he said, uh, sir, I hope you realize that there's only two kinds of Marines. He says, there's the war fighters and their support. And sir, since you're overhauling our computers, your support. Therefore, you're a Marine. And he was very convincing. Um, that five years, they made me feel like a Marine. But uh, what a privilege to serve. Our sermon title this morning is Go Tell the Samaritans. Let me give you an overview. The most Christian of convictions is that God speaks reality into being creation into shape, and salvation into action. People get excited. They share their faith. It is also a very Christian conviction that we are that which is spoken into creation, shape, and salvation, action. We are what happens when God's word is spoken. Think about that. When God speaks, he expects action from us. And therefore, we should listen closely in order to find out what God is doing in us. Who were the Samaritans? We need to review over 700 years of Jewish history to fully understand who the Samaritans were. Let me give you a brief uh, timeline. 721 B.C., 
721 years before Christ was born, there was the Assyrian captivity. And after that captivity, some of the Jews intermarried with the Assyrians and were immediately called half-breeds or Samaritans. But it gets worse. 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar conquers the southern kingdom and most of Judah is taken into captivity in Babylon. But there's this old scoundrel in history called Nebuchadnezzar and he was a sly old dog. He had a tactic that when he took over a population, whichever portion of that population he took into captivity in Babylon, he would replace that void, replace that population with other populations and create a mix, a melting pot. Why would he do that? You create a mixed race with no ethnic or national history or background. No allegiance to that background because they're mixed. They have less desire to rebel and less desire to fight. Seventy years the Jews were in Babylonian captivity and when they came back to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans showed up and said, may we help? No, you're half-breeds. Get out of here. You're unwelcome. Well, if that wasn't enough of a slight. Out of rivalry comes hatred. And 400 years later, the Samaritans so loathe the Jews that they fight on the side of the Seleucids against the Jews. Who were the Seleucids? You might remember Alexander the Great. When he died, his empire split into many fragments allocated to his generals. One of those became the Seleucid Empire. And they fought against the Jews in the Maccabean Wars. And the Samaritans helped them. But the Samaritans saw themselves as the true keepers of the Torah, the true descendants of Israel from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. They had their own unique copy of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Moses, the laws of Moses. And they believed that they alone had preserved the original Mosaic religion. The Samaritans had a unique religious system which was a mix of idolatry and Mosaic law. And their primary worship site was on Mount Garrison, which is basically what you saw on the video, Mount Garrison. They considered Jeru the Jerusalem temple and the Levitical priesthood to be illegitimate. Kind of sounds like Mormonism, huh? The Jews considered them half-breeds once for the Assyrian captivity, half-breeds twice for the Babylonian captivity. 
Show us slide number one, if you would, please. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, take note of that, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. The Jews so hated the Samaritans that if they were trying to get to the northern, the far northern territories, they would cross the River Jordan and go around the Jordan Valley to get there just so they wouldn't have to encounter Samaritans. Why does Jesus feel compelled to go through Samaria? You remember the parable of the lost sheep. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to search for the one. That's what Jesus is doing. The Samaritans were once part of the sheepfold of Israel. They are a lost pseudo-religion of Judaism, which is mixed with idolatry. Show us slide two, if you would, please. John 4, 7 through 9. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Although the Jews didn't share ever eating and drinking utensils, they did share commerce. They were willing to do business with them. They were willing to do business with the Romans. Money trumps many things. But even so, to the Jews, Samaritans were even lower than Gentiles lower than Romans. So Jesus asking the Samaritan woman for a drink would have shocked her because he was willing to drink from whatever cup or vessel she would provide. She was shocked. Slide number three, please. John four ten through 20. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? He dug this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Did you catch that? I know Jacob. I know Jacob very well. I wrestled with him once. 
slide four. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Oh, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to draw water. In the video, she says, show me. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Slide number five, please. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. That Greek word here, truth, it's fascinating. The Greek word is aletheia. And the word is derived from the negative or the opposite meaning of lanthano, which means to be hidden, to escape notice. Aletheia is the opposite of fictitious, feigned, or false. It denotes veracity, reality, sincerity, accuracy, integrity. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Garrison where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus has just made the cornerstone of their conversation truth. And that truth's going to rattle around in her soul for quite a while. But also notice her redirect. I don't want to talk about my past anymore. That may offer some recrimination. Since you're inclined to judge me, let me judge you. Why is it you Jews say the only place to worship is in Jerusalem? In psychoanalysis, we call that transference. But it's really recrimination. I feel you're judging me, so I'm going to judge you. Slide number six. Proverbs 15, a gentle response diffuses anger. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Consider this. The Samaritans had only the Pentateuch. That's all of the scriptures they had. They did not have the books of history, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, no major or minor prophets, and they did not have the Psalms. In fact, they believed everything but their copy of the Pentateuch was heresy. What is Jesus really saying to her? You know very little of the one you worship. He's saying all you know of God is the law. You know nothing of his provision grace and love. You don't have his love letters. You don't have the Psalms. 
you don't have Zephaniah chapter 3. I will sing over you with great rejoicing. You don't have his love letters. You have no romance with creator God. Therefore, you don't know me. I am the law. And my law is the law of love. You know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's that word again. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Slide number seven, please. How do we worship in spirit and truth? Got a hot news flash for you. What we're doing here this morning is a very small part of a life of worship. It's important, very important. Sunday mornings is when we recharge our battery. Sunday morning gives us provision so that we can live the rest of the week in a very overt attitude and lifestyle of worship. Ready at the drop of a hat to share our testimony, to share our faith. Eugene Peterson again. Worship is the essential and central act of a Christian. All that we do in life is or should be in preparation for and a result of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. Slide number eight, please. Living then by and in pure grace, as every one of us does. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, absolutely not. God brings all this goodness to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us not by what we are doing for him. 
Ephesians 2.8. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Let us pray. Lord, remind us this morning of the vision of yourself you gave St. John in your revelation. He said he saw you standing in the middle of the seven golden lampstands, the seven original churches. He saw that you wore a long robe with a golden sash and that your hair was white as snow. Your eyes were like flames of fire and your voice thundered like ocean waves. Lord, thunder the truth of your spirit here in our hearts today. Lord Jesus, I have stood at the foot of your ocean, felt its power, and heard the incessant crashing of the waves. And that picture is what we ask you to etch in our minds today and every day. That the words you speak from your throne are like never-ending waves, all in answer to our prayers. That sound is the eternal flow of your voice, ever, always, in answer to our prayers. Lord, we know you answer every prayer. And those answers are always either a yes, a no, or not just yet. Remind us that your answer is always this. I am doing that which is best for you. That's which will bring you closer to me. Everything that touches your life is first filtered through the grid of my will for your life, which is always good, and for your benefit and blessing. All we ask of you this morning, Lord, is please move us closer to your side, closer to the glory of your love. Show us our great need of you, Help us draw near to you, for we know that if we will draw near to you, you have promised that you will draw near to us. Make it so, Father. Make it so. In Jesus' matchless name. Amen. For my benediction this morning, I'd like to read you Psalm 34, 17, from the message. Is anyone crying out for help? God is listening. He is ready to rescue you. If you need help this morning, you can't figure out how to get close to God. Come talk to me after the service. We'll help you get squared away. I'm available all day, all week. Blessings to you all. You can stand if you like. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth you have for me. Place in my hands a wonderful key that shall unlock and set me free. Silently now I wait for you, ready, my God, your will to do. Open my eyes, illumine me, 
voices of truth so sharp and clear. And while the message sounds in my ear, everything else shall disappear. Silently now I wait for you, ready, my God, your will to do. Open my ears and move in me, Spirit divine. Open my mouth, let me declare words of assurance pray. Heavenly Father, let us all be humbled as a Samaritan woman was. Let our ears be open so that we can hear your message. And let us let us remember that you also want us to reach out and share with others the joyous message that you are our Savior, you are the Messiah, and that you have been here and your word will lead us all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.